Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. Father, we come before you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you so much for your loving kindness. And we just pray, Father, that you'll continue to bless our efforts as we seek to understand your word. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this blessing in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, brethren, I'll just ask you to forgive my voice, just getting over something here. And also for, ask for forgiveness in advance if I have to uh, sneeze or something like that. Uh, so I apologize for trying to get through the study here this evening. Uh, just before I get started, just want to uh, remind you again, if you haven't already, to uh, download the CGI Digital Network app from the Google Play Store, the Amazon Kindle Store, or the Apple iOS App Store. A wonderful application, as I said uh, last week. Jeff Reed has really done a wonderful job here and just very easy to navigate and uh, access the great resources that we have available to you. So we are up to um, Acts 56 and uh, what I want to do today is actually begin today's study in Hosea. So we'll pick up uh, today's study from the book of Hosea where we read, And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground And I will break the bow and the sword. And I think from other prophecies that we've looked at, I believe this is speaking specifically of the ideology of Islam and the destruction and the havoc that it will wreak upon God's people in the final chapter as they fulfill their eschatology and the, as, as it also fulfills our eschatology. 
I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth. So he will put an end to all of this and will make them to lie down safely. So they, this is the opposite of what they have experienced. And now they'll be able to lie down safely. Now this part. And I will betroth you to me forever. Forever. So there's the God is going to marry his people forever. This is uh, the exact opposite of the is Islamic ideology that says they must be destroyed. God is saying, no, I will marry you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. He speaks of no one else like this except for the people of Israel. In fact, in Amos, he says, of all the families of the earth, you only have I known. So this is a 100% exclusive relationship that God has with Israel. He says faithfulness because he is faithful to the covenant that he entered into, the covenant agreement that he entered into with Father Abraham. So, so this is righteousness. This is faithfulness. Despite Israel's wickedness, God says, I will hear, says the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth and the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and they shall hear Jezreel and Jezreel meaning he sows and this is uh, really an allusion to uh, Jehu and the destruction of Jezreel but also that God will redeem Jezreel and I will sow her so Jezreel meaning God sows I will sow her unto me in the earth and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. So this destruction, this havoc that will be upon these people, God is going to finally be merciful to them. And I will say to them, which were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. So this, <laughs> no, no people have this destiny except the people of Israel. This is a 100% exclusive relationship that God has with his people Israel. Now, before we go into um, Acts, uh, sorry, before we go into Isaiah 56, I want to now take this Hosea prophecy and the exclusivity of the relationship that God has with Israel, and I want to read Acts chapter 8 as we go into Isaiah 56. In Acts chapter 8, we read, and the angel of the Lord, so in Acts chapter 6, uh, Philip was one of the deacons that were ordained, and uh, he was also evangelizing like Stephen. And here we see him in chapter 8. The angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, so nothing to do with Israel, He's an Ethiopian, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So the fact that he was a eunuch would be no secret. Uh, clearly, the level of authority that he had, uh, it was clear that only eunuchs would be that high in authority under the queen. So he had great authority, this Ethiopian eunuch, so much so that he had charge of all her treasure and had come up to Jerusalem for to worship. So even though he's not an Israelite, he is what we would call a God-fearer. So there are many pagans that came to be familiar with the Jewish customs, or you could say the Jewish cult, and they accepted the moral code, 
they they accepted the the teachings of Moses and just they they were not they could not convert to Judaism but they would be alongside the Jews and would worship alongside the Jews as God fearers so he was a God fearer and he came so we are coming out of the Pentecost season here so he would have been there for Pentecost and now he, he would be returning he was returning excuse me and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet then the spirit said unto Philip go near and join yourself to this chariot so so there's a specific chariot that the Holy Spirit is directing Philip to saying go to this chariot and Philip ran there to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and he said do you understand what you're reading so he goes to the chariot and the eunuch is reading the prophet and he's hearing what the eunuch is reading and he is flabbergasted he has to ask do you actually understand what, what it is you're reading and he said well how can I except some man should guide me and he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him so Philip is just blown away by the scripture that he's reading and he's got like do you do you have any idea what you're reading and so he says no I, I need someone to explain this to me and then he says the place of the scripture which he read was this he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and, and we would recognize this as Isaiah 53 he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer so opened he not his mouth in his humiliation his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth the eunuch answered philip and said please who is the prophet speaking about is he talking about himself reasonable question or is he talking of some other man notice the answer then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. In other words, he didn't go backwards. He began at Isaiah 53 and preached unto him Jesus. So he had no idea who this was that the prophet was speaking about. Maybe the prophet is prophesying of himself. And Philip says, no, he's speaking of Jesus the Christ. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? This is a great question. So the eunuch came to a very deep and profound understanding of what Philip was teaching him. And as a God-fearer, he was not directly included in the Judaic cult, but he was certainly sympathetic to them and, and worshipped the, the true God. And now he's being taught about Christ out of Isaiah and Isaiah is the Bible within the Bible and it was the very much uh, leaned upon even by Christ himself when he was on earth and so here uh, the prophet is teaching about Christ and Philip is explaining this in grasping this the eunuch sees a body of water and says is there any reason why I can't be baptized and Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God. And he, that is the eunuch, commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And listen to this. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. He was thrilled. Why would he be so thrilled? And how is it that he came to this conclusion that there's nothing, unless Philip could identify something, but in his understanding, there was nothing that should prevent his baptism? Well, let's go back to what Philip taught him. In verse 35, we read that Philip, op- so he asked him, Philip, come up. So, so Philip came up uh, in the chariot. And so this was a you know, very powerful man. And he desires him to come up into the chariot. So Philip does that and began at the same scripture. So he didn't go backward. He went forward from Isaiah 53 and preached unto him Jesus. So we know Isaiah 53. It's a very uh, memorable scripture that we just read here and quoted in Acts 8. In Isaiah 54, So and we also know from Isaiah 53 when we studied it, it is speaking exclusively of the relationship that God has with Israel. Then here in 54 now, chapter 54, he says, Fear not, for you shall not be ashamed, neither be you confused, for you shall not be put to shame. For you shall forget the shame of your youth and shall not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. Again, we just read that in uh, Hosea. So God is going to marry his people. Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Very exclusive relationship that God has with Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. So Philip is teaching the eunuch this. And and the very special role that Israel has within God's plan. Incline your ear. And come unto me, here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And again, all of this is exclusive to Israel. And the eunuch is being taught by Philip the special redemptive role that Jesus Christ is playing in the life of Israel. And when I say Israel, I do not mean the nation that we call Israel today. That nation is populated by a, a segment of what we call the tribe of Judah. But Israel is one of, was the son of Isaac, one of the sons of Isaac. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And he had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the descendants of these 12 men are who the, the, the genetic descendants of these 12 men are whom the Bible refers to as Israel. And the nation we call Israel today is made up of Jews. That's just one of the 12 tribes. So this relationship that we're seeing here that Philip is teaching the eunuch about, he is coming to understand the exclusive role that Israel plays in the plan of God and how Jesus the Christ has come to redeem Israel and make an everlasting covenant with them, even the sure mercies of David. Now, the eunuch would have been excluded and would be worshiping at arm's length with 
Judah. And he, they, he would know from the law that as a eunuch, he is certainly excluded. He that is wounded, this is here, he that is wounded in the stones or has his private member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. So as much as this man, and it wouldn't be his fault that he became a eunuch, but as much as he would desire to be a part of the congregation of the Lord, the law is the law. And so he understood that. Now, Philip keeps reading and comes to Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, keep you judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Okay, eunuch is listening. Blessed is the man that does this and the son of man that lays hold on it that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. And many people will try to argue that the Sabbath is done away. Jesus Christ has done everything for us. We don't need to do anything for ourselves. Uh, and very clearly we see prophecy here that those who will be the beneficiaries of God's salvation, which is near, are those that keep the Sabbath. So this, this gentleman, not only does he keep the weekly Sabbath, he keeps the holy high days. And so he goes to Jerusalem to worship on these high days. And so here now, uh, Philip is reading to him this text. It says, blessed is the man that does this. Does what? That keeps judgment, that does justice. Blessed is the man that does this and the son of man that lays hold on it, that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So the eunuch is listening, listening. Neither let the son of the stranger, so this man is an Ethiopian, he's not part of the tribe of Judah or Israel, neither let the son of the stranger that has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. So the, the, eunuch, the eunuch is reading Isaiah, he gets to chapter 53, and the way they used to read back in the day was uh, they would read out loud. So today, if uh, I'm on the train or a plane or somewhere and I'm reading, I'm going to read silently. That's the way we read today. But back in the day, they didn't read this way. When they read, they read aloud. And so the man is reading aloud, Isaiah. He's in, he gets to chapter 53. He's reading it. As Philip approaches him and he's listening to this, do you understand what you're reading? No. Who's he talking about? Well, can you come up here and, and explain? And Philip then takes from Isaiah 53 reads 53, and again, no chapter breaks, but just reads the scroll, coming now into Isaiah 56, perfect timing, perfect timing. And he reads, Neither let the son of the stranger that has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths. This is, this is the man. So he's read, but Philip is reading this to the man. For thus says the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So this man was a victim of the practice of the time and had his private parts removed. And now Philip is reading to him that God will give him an everlasting name 
that shall not be cut off. And it's going to be something better than sons and daughters. Also, the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and takes hold of my covenant. So not only is it the eunuch, but it is also the stranger that joins themselves to the Lord. And I think I need to just for this now, so we went back in time to uh, the eunuch and Philip joining the eunuch. But here I think we can go forward in time. That the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, they're not going to be cut off either. To be his servants, everyone that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and takes hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So God makes it very clear that the stranger who basically abandons his strange ideology and joins himself to the Lord will not be cut off either. So the stranger and the eunuch. And I think as I kind of fast forward here into the future that, just look at this uh, text here that most people are completely unaware of. It says here, uh, about the Arab enslavement, let me just see if I can get this lined up properly. Give me one moment. That's better. 10 facts about the Arab enslavement of black people not taught in schools. And so a lot of people don't realize this. All I hear today is how horrible America was, and we need repatriation, and uh, America, America, slave trade, slave trade, and not realizing America ended the slave trade. Christian, white Christians, bled and died and sacrificed everything to end slavery. And slavery was ended in America. And here, most people do not understand this. The number of people enslaved by Muslims has been a hotly debated topic especially when the millions of Africans forced from their homelands are considered. Some historians estimate that between 650 and 1900, 10 to 20 million people were enslaved by Arab slave traders. I've actually seen a more accurate estimate of 28 million, 28 million enslaved by Arab slave traders. Others believe over 20 million enslaved Africans alone had been delivered through the Trans-Saharan route alone to the Islamic world. And then there's this doctor in his book, The Legacy of Arab Islam in Africa, that over 80 million more black people died over the route. So if 20 million made it, it means that 20% of them, 100 million were captured, but 80 million died. And only 20 million actually made it. Here's a picture of a black eunuch. And he says here, the Arab slave trade typically dealt in the sale of castrated male slaves. Black boys between the age of 8 and 12 had their scrotums and penises completely amputated to prevent them from reproducing. About six of every 10 boys bled to death during the procedure, according to some sources. But the high price brought by eunuchs on the market made the practice profitable. 
Some men were castrated to be eunuchs in domestic services, and the practice of neutering male slaves was not limited only to black males. So you can see here that uh, this practice of creating eunuchs out of slaves is something that the Arabs did repeatedly, wholeheartedly. To this day, they've never apologized for it. It is a part of their doctrine. And most people are completely unaware of this, completely unaware of it. And I think what the scripture is telling us here, as Islam uh, comes back into its glory, that this is history is pro, uh, prologue, that the past repeats itself. And so these people are going to be brutal and they're going to create eunuchs. And yet the eunuch that they created, the victim, and the victimizer can both be forgiven. So the sons of the stranger, and later in Isaiah we'll see this, I think it's in chapter 65, very clear identifying who this is. The sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord, so they've repented and they've come to the Lord. And the only way they can repent and come to the Lord is if somebody is preaching the gospel. That despite the, the rhetoric that they have, despite the uh, military power that they have, someone is preaching the gospel and they actually hear it and come to repentance. So the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and takes hold of my covenant again. If, if the Sabbath is done away, why does God make such a big deal of it when he looks into the future? Even then will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Even then. So God will accept repentance. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And that again, we have to understand this exclusive relationship that God has with Israel ultimately is for the benefit of all people. It's a blessing to all mankind. The promise to Abraham was, in, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And this is a fulfillment of that promise. Verse 8. The Lord God, which gathers the outcast of Israel, says, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. So again, we have to be very clear that this is God's plan. He's going to gather his people from the four corners of the earth. But then Isaiah is telling us that it's not only them, but he's going to gather others to him as well. So we know it. We know from Deuteronomy, Moses told, taught us this from the very beginning. Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, that then the Lord your God will turn your captivity or end your captivity and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So that's the fundamental prophecy. Moses laid it down before they even went into the promised land. You're going to go in, you're going to be blessed, but then you're going to be cursed according to everything that I've just laid out here. And part of that cursing is you're going to be scattered and subjugated all over the earth. But then you're going to be driven to repentance and your heart will actually be truly wholeheartedly for the Lord. And God is going to gather you and bring you back from the four corners of the earth. This is the fundamental prophecy. It's repeated several times. Isaiah, for example, says, 
He'll set up, a, set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Christ himself repeats it in Matthew 24. He'll send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So what Isaiah now says in Isaiah 56 is yes, he's going to do that according to Moses' initial prophecy. But in addition to gathering the uh, physical descendants, he's also going to gather others beside him. And we see that in Revelation, he says, I heard the number of them which were sealed and 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. But when he turns and looks, after this I looked, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So, so it's not just the physical descendants of Israel that he's going to gather. He says, beside these, I'm going to gather others as well. And that's what Isaiah is telling us, that there will be others who will be driven to this process of repentance alongside Israel, and they will be gathered as well because it's going to be a house of prayer for all peoples. Okay, now the prophecy shifts. It's almost like this is a new section. So we, we just saw, again, I just cannot emphasize enough for those who think, oh, the Sabbath's done away. We don't need to keep the commandments. Uh, that first section was just all about righteousness and, and people who come to true repentance, and that includes keeping God's commandments. And God really sets it out by highlighting the Sabbath day. But now we enter into a new section where he says, All you beasts of the field, come to devour. Yes, all you beasts in the forest. So there's a devastation here. And before we get to the salvation, there's this period of destruction. And there's a calling out to not just one or two of the beasts of the field, but all the beasts of the field are invited to come to devour God's people. Yes, and not just of the field, of the forest as well. And here in Psalm 83, we see that, for they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against you. So this confederation is all of these beasts. And we tend to think of the beast, the beast. But here the invitation goes out to all the beasts. There are many beasts. And this is something that I think we need to be sensitive to. I think I'm clearly, my position is that the ultimate the beast is, uh, that's the political beast in Revelation 13, from my perspective, is an Islamic antichrist. But we also have uh, the false prophet who signals to the world to worship the beast. And so there's, there, there's a role that certainly I believe, uh, and I don't know if it's this current Pope, although he certainly seems to have all of the indications that uh, he is certainly a compromiser, and he shows that the uh, Catholic religion is not solid. It's un unlike Islam, which doesn't move. It was laid down, there's no deviation, there's no innovation, it is what it is. Whereas here with the Roman Catholic Church and its doctrine, it seems constantly changing, and here, this article dated March 10, did Pope Francis really reconcile Christianity with Islam? On February 4th, Pope Francis and Sheikh Ahmed El-Taib, Grand Imam of Al-Aqsar, 
signed a document on human fraternity for world peace and living together. So in other words, they have come to this agreement as to how all humanity can, can be reconciled and, and, and have world peace. And I'm telling you, Islam doesn't budge. So therefore, the Catholic Church is willing to give up things like the deity of Christ in order to have peace, world peace. So the doc is deemed a historic detente, sort of a peace treaty, between the Christian religion, as represented by the Catholic Church, and Islam, which, to put it mildly, have had a lot of intense conflicts over the centuries. So goes on to explain this uh, document that the Pope has signed. So again, all the beasts of the field are invited to this slaughter of God's people. And so it's not just Islam. Uh, we, we have also the communist beast. And many people believe that that is the beast. It's going to be some sort of communist beast. But when I read scriptures like John 16, it's clear that those who kill you or kill us will think they do God's service. So it has to be a, a beast power that has a God that it serves. And certainly communism is godless. But again, we have to watch America. Uh, America really, uh, as, as uh, so goes America, so goes the Christian world, I would say. But here, uh, when we see the whole communism influence of the uh, uh, or co communist takeover of the Western world, this is something to behold. And here, if you go back in time, 1963, the 45 communist goals as read into the congressional record in 1963. So in 1963, this, uh, these 45 communist goals were uncovered and they were read into Congress. And I just want to highlight, a just actually one of them is, please uh, Google this, the 45 communist goals uh, from 1963. But I just want to come down to this one. Number 15, it says to capture one or both of the political parties in the United States. So this was a goal that they set out to do in 1963. And so if you start to hear one or both of the parties beginning to sound more and more like socialists, more and more like communists, this is no accident. This is no accident. And so communism is responsible for over 100 million deaths. It is brutal. You know, the only system I know that's more brutal than communism is Islam, which is responsible for some 280 million deaths. But Islam is older, 1400 years, whereas communism is what, uh, just over 100 years. So let's look now uh, just at the influence today over one or both of these parties. Uh, take a listen to this. This is a gentleman by the name of, uh, he's, uh, his YouTube channel is Mr. Reagan. I'm not sure what his actual name is, but he does a good analysis here of the influence of uh, somebody like an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is so radical in her socialism uh, that, that it makes you wonder. Take a look. Listen to this. The mastermind behind it all, Cenk Uygur of the Young Turks. Now this may all sound completely nuts, like a big conspiracy theory, but the Justice Democrats was heavily promoted on the Young Turks. We have video evidence from the inception through into the campaigns. I think they have maxed out on incompetence. So that is why we must choose a new path. And that is what we embark upon today. What we need to do is take over the Democratic Party.
And as Martin Luther King said when he did the Civil Rights Movement, he said he was doing it not just to help African Americans, but to save the soul of America. Here we're going to try to save the soul of the Democratic Party by boarding the Democratic Party's ship and taking it over. How are we going to do that? We're going to run strong progressives. From now on, there will be a new wing of the Democratic Party, and it will be the Justice Democrats. We will seek social justice, economic justice, racial justice, and plain old justice justice. Now you might think, if, if Cenk wanted influence in government, why didn't he just run? If Saikot Chakrabarty wanted influence in government, I mean, despite his awkwardness, why didn't he run? Why put up AOC? The goals of this group are far grander and far more sinister than simply electing a single congresswoman to office. The goals are to take over the Democratic Party, eventually take control of Congress, and in turn, control the United States. And I know all of this sounds completely insane, but they have expressed their intentions very clearly on camera. We're going to run hundreds of candidates, and we're going to primary all the de establishment Democrats. So we're not going to be like, oh, is it Chuck Schumer? Maybe yes, maybe no, right? right? No, it's a hard no. But wait a minute now, are you really going to primary vulnerable Democrats? Yeah, that's the whole point. If in 2018 we don't achieve our grand vision of, of a wholesale change in two years, which is very, very hard, we know that, right? You get, are you kidding me? If you got six, let alone 12, let alone 24 people in Congress, you know what would happen in Washington? People would freak the hell out. They'd be like, oh my God, what in the world? These guys that had no money to begin with, no nothing to begin with, just put 24 people in Congress. Look, we want hundreds. We want to we want to replace Congress. Guys it, are coaching her. They're scripting Congress. everything she says. You notice when she goes off script because she suddenly starts babbling incomprehensibly. The girl in this next clip is now the head of the Justice Democrats. Her name, Alexandra Rojas. Really, I think a big anchor piece is the Green New Deal and talking about it in a frame of social, racial, and economic justice and uh, a mobilization of our economy and our society at the scale of what we did during World War II. The Green New Deal, how is that going to be different? I think what we're calling for is a mobilization of our economy, of our society, on the scale that we haven't seen since World War II. Like, this is the war, this is our World War II. It's clear that AOC is being coached on absolutely every policy point she makes. And if this is not enough to give you pause, consider that the Green New Deal was drafted in one weekend by her staff. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had zero to do with it. As far as I could find, she wasn't even in the room. Now, this is AOC's landmark legislation proposal. It essentially sums up her entire platform and lays out everything she wants to do in Congress. She didn't even participate in the drafting of the legislation. Guys. So you can see these communists have been extremely effective. And it's interesting as well that the name, the Young Turks, uh, if we know anything about history, the Young Turks were responsible for the genocide of the Armenians. And so an interesting name, but very clear this communist ideology is to take over America. And so, you know, the Bible says that all, all you beasts, so it's not just the uh, Islamic beast, and in fact, on that point, let me just make one other uh, observation here. And that is, 
with respect to uh, the Muslim Brotherhood in, in Congress and in government. So this document, the Muslim Brotherhood Strategic Plan for America, that's something, again, you can Google. It's out there. You can get the PDF of it. It says the following document is the official document from a 1991 meeting which outlines the Muslim Brotherhood's strategic goals for North America. So the Muslim Brotherhood was formulated with, after the fall of the Ottoman Empire in 1921-22. Immediately after that fall, the Muslim Brotherhood was formulated in order to resurrect the Islamic Empire. So here they're meeting. The document was entered as evidence in the 2008 Holy Land terror funding trial. Federal investigators found the document in the home of Ishmael el-Barasi, a founder of the Dar al-Hijra Mosque in Falls Church, Virginia, Virginia, during a 2004 search. El-Barasi was a member of the Palestine Committee, which the Muslim Brotherhood had created to support Hamas in the United States. So it goes on just to give us an English translation, but I'll just pick up a couple of paragraphs says here, enablement of Islam in North America, meaning establishing an effective and stable Islamic movement led by the Muslim Brotherhood, which adopts Muslims' causes domestically and globally, and which works to expand the observant Muslim base, aims at unifying and directing Muslims' efforts, presents Islam as a civilization alternative, and supports the global Islamic state wherever it is. So this is going to happen from within America, that America will find itself supporting Muslim causes domestically, but also global causes. They'll, they will align with Palestine over Israel because of this infiltration. On page five, the movement must plan and struggle to obtain the keys and the tools of this process in carrying out this grand mission as a civilization jihadist responsibility. So they need to get into government, understand how the government works, understand the secret chambers and what's discussed and how it's all carried out in order to carry out this grand mission. Page seven. The process of settlement is a civilization jihad pro jihadist process with all that the word means. The Ikhwan, that is the Muslim Brotherhood, must understand that their work in America is a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house by their hands and the hands of the believers. So it's something that Americans are going to do to themselves, but the believers are going to help as well. But we need Americans to be so supportive of these causes that they don't even know that they're actually destroying their own civilization. We must possess a mastery of the art of coalitions. The Bible speaks of this as confederate. So they have to be just really subtle and, and, and very um, persuasive, uh, very uh, subversive without people realizing in building these confederates, confederations, these coalitions the art of absorption and the principles of cooperation. So they'll cooperate with the communists. They'll cooperate with the socialists. They'll cooperate with the feminists and everybody until they get their way. So very, very fascinating to just look at that and understand that the beasts of the field are in fact gathering as, as God invites them to do that. They, they think it's their brilliance. They think it's their craftiness. 
when in fact it's only by God's permission that this is allowed at all. Otherwise it could never happen. So Psalm 83 tells us that they have these beasts of the field, uh, they have consulted together with one consent. So there's something that they're all coming together, they're all agreeing. Ultimately, I believe that that one consent is going to be Islamic ideology and Sharia law. But you just read in the Muslim Brotherhood, they're willing to cooperate and, and have a coalition with everybody. And so the Pope is getting dragged into this, the socialists and communists are getting dragged into this, and they're all coming together with one consent. He says, they are confederate against you. The tab and then who specifically is driving this? The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarenes. We talked about this last week. Gabal and Ammon and Amalek and Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher is also joined with them and they have helped the children of Lot. So went into that in detail last week on Gog and Magog. I invite you to, to, to go there if you need more details. But let's also now look at Obadiah. So we started with Hosea, and we see this exclusive marriage that God is going to have with Israel. But let's now look at Obadiah and see, what does Obadiah say? Who, who is at fault ultimately in the end? Because these prophecies, although there's a, an initial fulfillment, the way they're worded, we can actually see that there's a latter fulfillment as well. So here we see, this is the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. So Esau, he, he takes a big role on the world stage in the end. So we have to go back to Genesis to understand what is the origin of this conflict between Esau and Jacob. And how is it playing out today? And so it seems like this ideology, and it's you know very much like um, uh, if you look at Persia or, or Iran today, that Iran is a plot of land but nobody can rule that land unless they're an Arab only descendants of Muhammad can have that highest office in the land so even though it's a Persian land it's actually run by Arabs and so we have to understand this genetic God knows who has what DNA but very clearly from these prophecies Esau looms large in the end time the vision of Obadiah thus says the Lord God concerning Esau concerning Edom we have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise you and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made you, that is Esau, small among the heathen. So obviously Esau was huge, a big deal among the heathen. And God says, I've made you small among the heathen. You are greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. So Esau has uh, adopted some ideology that tells him out of his holy book that he is the best of mankind and the followers of Christ and the descendants of Judah are the worst of mankind. And so he's just pumped up with this pride. The pride of your heart has deceived you. And that's how we know in any, any religion that teaches pride uh, we know that this is the affliction of the devil. Just so we see that in Isaiah 14. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You that dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that says in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? 
And this is sort of the counter or the, the uh, complement to when they look at the beast and they say, who shall make war with him? He is such a force that no one can make war with him. And that is something that this, this Sharia law or this, uh, uh, how shall we say, Sharia uh, uh, ideology, it's powerful. And people don't understand. They're playing with it in America and inviting it in all the Western nations. But I'm focusing on America because America is the superpower. And once America goes down, forget that the, the Judah or the nation, the physical nation of Israel today. It, it is protected in the Middle East because of the influence of America and the protection of America, which the Muslim Brotherhood has now infiltrated uh, the Congress and is beginning to raise questions around why are we uh, loyal to Israel and not Palestine? So that's all taking place. And again, Christians around the world. We actually saw in the previous administration that uh, Christians were not being helped despite the persecution all around the world. Here is a minister, uh, 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 evangelist, that spent a lot of time in the Middle East. And she is speaking at a conference called uh, Women, um, Middle Eastern Women. Uh, is the name of the conference. And I'll, I'll just have you listen to them for a bit. Five years, as Christiana said, I was in the foreign Middle East. I lived there part of the time and went back and forth the other part of the time. I was on the Afghan-Pakistani um, border where the refugees poured into Pakistan. One day, visiting the camps, when a lady walks out from her, her husband was in the house, she walks out to hang up her laundry, her debuta falls off, her husband sees her wave to the neighbor, he comes and chops her head off, throws it to the neighbor and says, if you want my wife, there she is. So, this is what we face with radical Islam. Now, for 35 years, watch pregnant woman get stabbed in the abdomen. Stabbed in the admin and right in front of her, and she was my only surviving family member. Babies pulled out of their stomachs. This was not too long ago, my friends. This is less than 100 years ago. All because my family was Christian. My grand-grandfathers were crucified on crosses. So this is a, an ideology that is ruthless. It's ruthless to its own people, and it is designed to have these people believe they are superior to Judah and to all Christians. And history is prologue. What's happened in the past is just a dress rehearsal for what's going to happen in the future. And God is actually inviting them now. There's no holds barred. And so here where he says, who shall bring me down to the ground? The corollary of that is, who can make war with him? He's ruthless. And so this is featuring in the end time. Though you exalt yourself as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there will I bring you down, says the Lord. So he's not too powerful for God. Powerful for mankind. And mankind's like, wow, we, the, he's, he's impenetrable. There's nobody that can stop him. But God is going to stop him. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, how are you cut off? Would they not have stolen until they had enough? So God's poet's like, there's something wrong with these people in the end time. They just will not stop. And God is saying, look, even if thieves broke into your house, they would steal, sure. But there's some point where they say, okay, we have enough. 
But these people, they're, they're taken over. This ideology makes them susceptible to Satan, and they just can't stop. If the grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up again? This is end time. All the men of your confederacy. So again, we see this, this craft that they have of building confederacy, building confederate uh, alliances. It's going to backfire on them. So says Obadiah. All the men of your confederacy have brought you even to the border. The men that were at peace with you have deceived you. And that's, that's in fact how the Ottoman Empire fell. Because Islam is brutal. It's a strong man's ideology. So people go along with it. They surrender. They submit because they have to. But deep inside, and Islam doesn't care what's happening inside, just as long as there's outward appearance. So deep inside, there's resentment. And the Arabs resented when the Turks took over. And so they were willing to uh, betray the Turks with Britain and France. And so here, whoever this strong man is in the end time, he has peace only because he's strong. And there will be uh, resentment and a willingness finally when the opportunity arises to overthrow him. The men that were at peace with you have deceived you and prevailed against you. They that eat your bread have laid a wound under you. There is none understanding. There's no understanding in him. And this is always the case with these empires that are built on, on force. They always, in fact, that's why many of them, when they come into power, they, they slay all of their siblings, just so that there's absolutely no chance of another person uh, trying to legitimately claim the throne. And they're constantly having to sleep with one eye open and look over their shoulder. Shall I not in that day, says the Lord, in that day, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau. So God is against Esau in the end, just before Christ returns. In fact, upon his return, he's returning to destroy Esau. And your mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed. So who shall make war with him? Well, your mighty men shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. God is not joking. For your violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. So there's something between Esau and Jacob that began in Genesis that doesn't end until Revelation. So this is we need to identify Esau, and we also need to identify Jacob. Where is Jacob today? Who are the Jacobite nations? We're looking for nations that have been blessed beyond measure, who are now being torn down, who have rejected Christ, and in the process of rejecting Christ and taking prayer out of school and, and just becoming very secular, that their morals have declined, and they have no pride, and they have no, no sense of purpose, and they're allowing the uh, non-Jacobites into their lands, and that process is destroying them. Can we find any nations that satisfy these criteria? So now this violence is against them. And God, is, God, is, God allows it. Come ye beasts of the field, devour, come and eat. But God will only, it's only for a time. And then God is going to put an end to it. For your violence against your brother Jacob shall cover you. And you shall be cut off forever. 
So this hasn't happened yet. It has to be when, when God acts on Esau, it's forever. And so again, we can see this is end time. The, the, the way, yes, it was fulfilled anciently, but it's, it's dual. There's a future fulfillment. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. So they're going to have their heyday, but then God is coming to put an end to it. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As you have done, it shall be done unto you. And Revelation said, John says, He that lives by the sword shall die by the sword. So Esau has been living by the sword, and now he's going to be slain by the sword. As you have done, it shall be done unto you. Your reward shall return upon your own head. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so he's, he's come into Israel, the physical nation of Israel, he's come into Jerusalem, uh, he's up on the mountains of, of, of Jerusalem. He is slaying God's people up and down. Blood is dripping everywhere. And God says, okay, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. It's going to come back on you. Yes, they shall drink and they shall swallow down. God is going to say, I'm going to make sure this comes back on you. And this again is fulfilling Deuteronomy 30. It's exactly what Moses said would happen. And they shall be as though they had not been. They're going to go out of existence. However, that's not the fate for God's people. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. So there's going to be slaughter upon Mount Zion. Come ye beasts of the field, come and eat. And then God's going to stop it. And upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. So all this wealth that Esau has, and, and it's by theft. Again, he has an ideology that says it's okay for him to steal. And to, to, to jihad enables him to take the spoils. And he's going to be reading his holy book and saying, it's, it's okay, it's, it's good for me to do this. I, I'm, I'm empowered. God, my, my God is pleased when I, when, I, when I steal. So he's reading his holy book that tells him it's okay for him to take Jacob's possessions. But God says, no, I'm going to put an end to them. They're going to go out of existence. And this is why the first part of Isaiah is so important. These people must be brought the gospel before it's too late so that they can repent and come to Jesus Christ. And God, God will accept them and will accept the eunuchs as well. In fact, the eunuchs that they create. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. So God is going to give the house of Jacob strength. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. And notice it's not just Judah. The house of Jacob. All the nations of Jacob will be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau for stubble. Wow. This is end time prophecy. And we cannot understand it unless we understand that the conflict, when Christ returns, is between Esau and Jacob. And God gives, Esau has the upper hand. And then Christ returns and gives Jacob the upper hand. This is what we're looking for. And this is what we need to understand is happening in the earth today. That this is the time of the Gentiles, meaning it's the time of Esau and his confederate nations, his coalition. And so when God returns, Joseph or Jacob becomes a fire and Esau is the wood for the fire. And they shall kindle in them and devour them and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken it this is serious if we love mankind we need to get this message to Esau 
we need to enter into debate with Esau and say, you are on the wrong side. Satan has taken over your, your whole nations and you've been deceived. You must come to understand the central role of Jesus Christ and you've been given an ideology that attacks and prevents you from understanding Christ and understanding the beauty of marriage and the plan of marriage in the plan of God, the role of marriage in the plan of God. And you despise your wives, you hate them. You have four of them and they're just, they're, they're nothing to you. And while you have them, you despise the fact that they're physical while you yearn and lust for these mythical figures in Janna, which is absolute rubbish and nonsense. And then you have all these sex slaves. No, no wonder you have no true love for your wife or wives. You're, you're just totally shipwrecked by this ideology. You've got to come to study the Bible. And it's an ideology that's supposed to be based upon the Bible. But which prophet does your prophet agree with? You name the prophet and, and, and we'll research the prophet and see. Do they teach anything like what you teach and what you read in your Quran? Nothing. So here he's saying there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. This is serious. For the Lord has spoken it. And this is, again, all the prophets agree. They all say the same thing. Zechariah says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about it. All these nations that come and surround it, they're going to be terrified by it. When they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. So while they're in the siege, which if we put Zechariah and Obadiah together, Esau is leading this siege. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burden stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. And though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So this is Esau leading this confederation against Jerusalem. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood. So Esau will be the wood. We put, this, put the prophecies together. Esau will be the wood. Judah will be the fire. And the, the whole house of Jacob will be the fire. And these people will be as if they never existed. And like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the people round about. And so it's no accident that we have uh, Ilhan Omar in the U.S. government questioning the relationship with Israel and pushing the agenda for Palestine. This is just the beginning. Eventually, as we let more and more migrants into, into the uh, Western nations and they find themselves because of our democratic process, taking over our governments and changing our policies and practices, all the people of the earth will be in agreement and they'll all go to destroy these people. On the, and so they'll have the rhetoric that says you know, they're, they're, they're occupiers on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even Jerusalem. You might not believe it, but even Jerusalem will be inhabited. We come back to Obadiah, the last verse of Obadiah. And saviors, these are the Christians. These are the people who have received the first fruits. There's going to be a fall harvest and, and God is going to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people. But there's a, there's a spring harvest. And there are people who have received his Holy Spirit early. And when Christ returns, the first fruits return with him. And Savior shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. It is no, this is a serious matter.
if you in any way are aligned with Esau when Christ returns. I, words fail me. Words fail me. And so we must preach this gospel. We must preach it accurately and definitively and, and, and with conviction that God is coming and he's coming for his people, Israel. And, and his name will be holy in all the earth despite Esau's attempts to stamp this name out. So a savior shall come up on the Mount Zion uh, to judge the Mount of Esau. So this powerful government of Esau will be brought down and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So there's this controversy, a kingdom is being set up. That this, uh, in my opinion, the resurrection of the Ottoman Empire being set up in this vast and massive and who can make war with it? And God's gonna bring it down and restore the kingdom to Israel. The kingdom will be the Lord's and the Lord will give it to Israel. And this is why we see again in Malachi, God hates Esau. He says, I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. And we, the first fruits, are going to help in this process. Whereas Edom says, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I personally will throw down. And they shall call them, them. These, these, this is again why Esau is the focal point. They shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord has indignation forever. But we saw in Isaiah 56, these people can leave this ideology. They can repent. They can join themselves to the Lord's people. And God says, yep, I'll accept them. My house will be a house of prayer for all peoples. And then there'll be great joy in my house. But as long as they're attached to this ideology and attached to the destruction of the house of Jacob, God says, whoever messes with the apple of my eye messes with me. Back to Isaiah 56 as we just wrap up here. He says, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. So Ezekiel 33 says, when I set a man uh, to be a watchman for the people, it's his job to cry out. When he sees the sword come upon the land, he needs to tell the people the sword is on the land. And so that's what we're telling you now. The sword is on the land. The sword of Islam is on the land. It's in Europe. It's in the UK. It's in Canada. It's in Australia. It's in New Zealand. It's in South Africa. It's in America. It's on the land, globally. It's on the land. Muslim Brotherhood are clever, crafty. And, and it's, this thing is happening very, very quickly. And, and the communists and socialists are cooperating. Each one is using the other, thinking that they'll get the upper hand in the end. But God's saying that most of his watchmen, we don't know what's going on. So blind means we don't understand prophecy. It's happening right under our noses, but we don't realize it. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. And this is where Ezekiel says, Son of man... Set your face against Gog. This is serious. We, we are against Gog. We are against Sharia. This is evil. And we're against it. And we can't compromise with it. We can't say plain, like the, the, the Pope, oh, let's figure out how we can reconcile these things. We can't. He says, yes, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his, his gain from his quarter. And this is why, you know, when we have ministers that do not look to their own way, and, and we've, got, we've got to say the CGI, 
95%, maybe more, of the ministry is unpaid. We, we do this out of the love for God's people, the love for God, the love for his word. We, we, are, we, we are not salaried. And so the CGI ministry, we do have a couple of exceptions, and those men are wholehearted. And we need, we need more like that. But most ministries are just full of paid ministers. And they're told what to preach and when to preach and what they'll say and what they won't say. And so they're easily manipulated. And so they all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. And this is where even Paul in, in the first century, he says here to the Philippians, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort. So I, I need to be comforted in knowing your state when I know your state. So he'll send Timothy. He says, for I have no man like-minded, and I, I don't know what was going on at the time, where exactly he was and where everybody else was, but he, where he was in Rome and particular people around him at that time, he says, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. So it was just in Timothy to care about these people. But he's saying, I can't send anybody else that just has that natural care for your state. For all seek their own. And I think this is an allusion back to Isaiah. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Isaiah and I think we can finish here. He says, just last few verses, Come you, say they, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be as this day, and much more abundant. So this is where the prophet says, the watchmen are blind. It means that they do not see the things that are unfolding. And these things are urgent, and they're happening quickly. Every single day they're unfolding rapidly. And yet, because they are blind, they don't see it. And so there's this sense of calm, you know, so uh, God's, ministers, we, we sometimes might seem a bit alarmist. We're not wrong. These things are going to happen. But God is just, God is such a patient God that he keeps putting mechanisms in place to delay everything, to slow things down. Meanwhile, the beasts of the field are gathering, but God will put mechanisms in place. Of, for example, uh, the current president, uh, if, if uh, Hillary Clinton got into power, to continue the destruction of America that happened in the previous administration, who knows where we would be today. But God put somebody in place to try to restore the strength of America. And that just slows everything down for a little bit, but he'll be gone soon. And so we can seem alarmist when we're reading the prophets, the prophets and we see what's going to happen, but it doesn't happen tomorrow. But every single day, there's evidence that we're moving in a single direction. But if we see these things, if we're not reading the prophets, then today seems like yesterday, and tomorrow must be like today. And so come you, say they, I will fetch wine, I'll get some wine, and let's have a, a nice time, we'll drink, because uh, tomorrow's going to be like today, only it'll be better, we'll, we'll, we'll have more abundance, our, our wealth will increase, and we can enjoy ourselves even more. And again, uh, New Testament kind of speaking or alluding to um, Isaiah, and we'll just end with this uh, passage in Peter. He says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. So we're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be mocked. Uh, the word of God will be brought into question. 
but we can't deny the word of God. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They don't see any change. And in fact here, and again, if we're not paying attention to the prophets, it does seem like everything is the same. But when we read the prophets, it's like, no, this really is happening. And so we'll just conclude here. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. So this word is sure, and it is wise to obey it and take heed to it and not ignore it. We have the sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the day star arise in your hearts. So this is going to happen. God's salvation is coming. We, the first fruits, will be caught up together with him in the air. We will come down with him to judge the earth, to set Mount Zion right, to, to empower the house of Jacob, to put down the, the Mount of Esau, and to establish the earth in righteousness. And it's all happening. Don't, don't, don't be discouraged by the fact that God's word takes time. It's actually, it's his patience, not willing that any should perish. So let's do what we can to take heed to the word of prophecy. Let's do what we can to preach the gospel. All of us have a different part to play, but we're all one body. And, and you know, if, if, if the whole body were uh, an ear, where would the seeing be? And if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing or the smelling be? So we're all different members, but we move together as one body. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's a great God. He is the Redeemer. And His house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples in fulfillment of His promise to Abraham.